Take your Bibles, if you would, and we're going to be in the Gospel of John, John chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. And of his fullness, whose fullness? Jesus' fullness. We have all received, and if you remember back in verses uh, 12 and 13, as many as did receive him, to them gave he power to become the children of God, even to them that believe on his name. Verse 12, verse 13, which were born not of flesh and blood or the will of, will of ourselves, but of the Father. So for those of us that have received Christ by faith alone, through grace alone, and Christ alone, you have received his fullness. And part of that package deal is you're saved by grace, and now you could live from grace and by grace. This is what grace for grace means. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Of course, before the law, there was grace. During the law, there was grace. And after the law, there was grace. But we have a new covenant. We're in a new testament relationship with the Father through the Son, powered by the Holy Spirit indwelling believers, which never happened in the Old Covenant. So we have a new deal, a new way to relate to God, and that was introduced uh, through Jesus. Last week also, I believe we're talking about John the Baptist, and he was the last of the Old Testament prophets. I know you turn in your Bible and you say, like, Matthew 1, 1, and the page before it says the New Testament. That was put there by the editors, The New Testament actually comes at the cross of Christ. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness, and there must of necessity be the death of the testator in order for there to be a New Testament. And you'll find that in Hebrews chapter 7, 8, and 9. So let's pray, and then we'll get into looking at fullness received and that grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Father, I just pray as you guide us, your people, into truth through your grace that you will help us to understand how to relate to you how privileged we are to have access to who you are the throne room of grace but also to have received all of your fullness lord jesus i know i don't tap into it i don't appropriate it i don't experience it uh, as i ought or as much as i should but the access is granted the, the fullness is received. Help us to leave here at least hungry and thirsty to tap into the eternal resources that we have now that we're related to you. Take us verse by verse, thought by thought, uh, through this message today, Lord, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's look at this. Verse 16. And of his fullness we have all received grace for grace. So all who have received him have received his fullness. And I want to say this. We start with the words done, not do, complete, not incomplete, full, not empty, fulfilled, not unfulfilled. And though we don't feel it or or, or realize it, we will spend the rest of our Christian lives becoming who we already are in Christ. This is Christian maturity. So Jesus didn't start it and now we finish it. He who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. So what does this mean? 
What does this mean of his fullness have we all received? So it's not like you're, you're growing into becoming accepted. You're growing into becoming loved. You're growing into becoming righteous. You start that way when you receive the Lord Jesus Christ. So what does this all mean, though? It means that he became all that we are so that we could receive all that he is. Now that we have his peace, not as the world gives, but as he does, we could experience his peace. Because we have his presence, we now have his patience. And the Bible says this, let this mind be also in you, which was also in Christ, which means we have access to the greatest mind of minds. We have this We could tap into the mind of Christ and have the way he thinks, have the way he feels, and have have the way he does things in his will. We could have all of that because we've received all of his fullness. We have his forgiveness so that even when we don't feel like forgiving someone, we could forgive in and through the person of Christ. I wrote this down. We have the extra high mileage living abilities living in us. We have the extra high mileage living abilities living in us so that when we only want to go one mile, Jesus kicks in the afterburners and we could go two or more. We have second, third, fourth mile Jesus living in us. Sometimes we only want to go one block, maybe a half a mile, (laughs) right? But we have the marathon, uh, the miracle the master living in us, wanting to extend his life and grace to those around us. We have the compassion, the grace, the mercy, the long-suffering, the gentleness, the self-control as we yield to the Spirit of Christ. We can pray and ask Jesus to be my, you fill in the blank, at your time of need. I used to say, Jesus, give me, give me, give me, give me. You know what I say now? Jesus, be my, be my, be my, be my, be. Jesus, be my patience to this person. Jesus, be my wisdom right now to this situation. Jesus, be my discernment. Jesus, be my strength. Jesus, be my power right now. Jesus, be the one that could stand with temptation because I can't. Jesus, be my long-suffering. Jesus, be the one to forgive. Jesus, be gentleness uh, in me, to me, through me right now. Jesus, be my, be my, be thou my vision. Be my, be thou my, you fill in the blank. Be my shield. Be my helmet. Be my breastplate. Be my sword. Be my shoes. Uh, Be my my loins girded with truth. Lord, be my armor. Lord, be my, be my fruit. Be my love, my joy, my peace, my gentleness, my goodness, my meekness, my faith, my self-control. Be my. Amen? And this is accessing the fullness that we've all received. He's inside of us. Now, Lord, Let your life go through us. The church is the body of Christ. Right? He's in you. He wants to manifest himself through you to the community, to the church, to your family, uh, wherever we go, whatever we do, because Jesus goes with us. He can be your, you fill in the blank. 
So we have everything and lack nothing because of his fullness we have all received. Maddie, I'm throwing this verse up there for you. Oh, she just left with a baby. Where's Maddie? Okay, anyways. Um, I didn't throw this up here for her, but she was telling me the other day this is her favorite verse, and she has it memorized. Look at the Colossians 2. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Kind of the same idea that we just read in John. And you, Christian, are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. You are complete in him. I like 2 Peter chapter 1, kind of the same idea. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him, by which we have been given, given to us exceeding great and precious promises. Well, there's many promises. Some, some have equated there's over 33,000 promises in the Bible. I'm not sure. I haven't counted them all. But just in these verses, what are some promises? Well, grace is going to be multiplied. Uh, we have divine power. That's deity. That's spiritual. We have, divine, we have the divine Godhead. And that word power is dunamis. The dynamite power has been given, has given to us all things. There's a promise. All means all, and that's all that it means. So that means there's not a situation, there's not, there's not a circumstance, there's not when dots line up incorrectly that God can't make the crooked straight. He has given us all things to all Christians pertaining to all things in life so that you could live a godly life, one that glorifies God. You have I'm going to say this again because I've said it already a hundred times. You have the batteries included. Batteries included. Batteries included. When, you've been, when you got born again, you have the batteries included. So we have all things that pertain to life and godliness because we are complete in Christ and of his fullness we have all received. And the verse goes on to say, and grace for grace. So the law came by Moses but Jesus brought us grace and truth. Christ gives us grace to live by grace and to live from grace. God gives us grace for eternal life and grace to live out the daily abundant Christian life. We are not saved one way and sanctified another. The same way we were saved initially is the same way we live daily, and that's by grace through faith. Some people think, well, I'm saved by grace, I'm sanctified by struggle. That's not how it works. That's why we went through the book of Galatians. Excuse me, that was weird. <laughs> that was a granola bar that I stole from uh, Sean out in the front. And I'm sorry, I was a nut in my tooth. Um, okay. I feel, obviously, I feel comfortable to spit granola bar out of my mouth. Sorry. Um, so... We aren't saved one way and sanctified another. The same way we entered into this relationship is the same way we walk in this relationship, which is by grace through faith. So as we continue to walk by faith, we keep growing in grace and learning to live from and to appropriate the life of Christ and his infinite supply that we have from within us. I like this verse. I've been, I've been contemplating this a lot lately. Look at James chapter 4. He gives more grace... I love that. He gives more grace. 
Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You know, people that are doing just fine without Jesus don't need grace. Those that don't think they're sick, they don't need a physician either. But when you know you're sick, and you know you're helpless, and you know you're hopeless, and you tap out, everyone has a different threshold of tapping outness, right? <laughs> if you ever watch UFC, some people tap out early, some people will, their arm will break before they tap out, right? <laughs> and some people in life, they could just you wonder, like, how did you get to where you're at without God? And you're still not receiving him. Jerry told a story about his father in Sunday school. And um, this has been common in my family as well. My grandfather, uh, I visited him. Were you with me, Jen, at that time? Oh, yeah, you were with child. Um, we were youth pastors at the time. And um, I said, I need to stop. This was in uh, China Lake in the high desert up there uh, outside of Lancaster. We went to a youth conference, and I said, I need to see my grandfather. I've only seen him like four times in my life. And um, old Navy dude, he was out there. He retired from the military, but he was out um, working a civilian job, and he did laser-guided tests for missiles out there at the, the Navy base, ballistic part of things. I remember he had a turtle, and um, he would sit out in his porch, and uh, his wife would put a beer on the turtle, and the turtle would walk out. It had a path, and my grandpa would grab the beer off the turtle, and the turtle would just keep going back and forth. I just remember that as a kid. It was so weird. <laughs> well, I said, I need to go see my grandfather, and um, he's on his deathbed. I need to go see him. So we went there, and... Um, uh, I, w I went in, he's on, he's on life support and all this kind of stuff, an ICU, oxygen mask, all hooked up to all the equipment. And I said, Grandpa, do you know who I am? Yes. Can I share with you the gospel? Yes. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes. And I went through it and I said, do you want to receive the Lord Jesus Christ? No. I left. The next day he died, did his funeral, and the song that he was playing at his funeral was I Did It My Way, Frank Sinatra. Fast forward, my dad, I'm in India with Tim Ekno, and I've told you this story. Our friend Peter dies in a car accident that day. That same hour, I get a text from across the world, your dad also died, pancreatic, same cancer. Just, you don't recover. I had no time to get home. I didn't get a chance to share the gospel with my dad on his deathbed, but I shared the gospel with him plenty of times before um, he was diagnosed with this life-ending cancer. Supposedly, there was a saved chaplain that talked to him and was able to share the gospel with him. So I don't know. Um, there's another deathbed of my uncle, Ernie. Uh, I witnessed to him multiple times. Nope, 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 nope. On his deathbed. Yep. It's just interesting how uh, that happens. And I have no idea why I'm bringing this up other than I was just thinking that just story just kind of really uh, spoke to me. Um, but I want to say this. We have the option, Second Peter, to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. So we have the option to be saved by grace 
and we have as a Christian the ability to grow in this grace and to live by this grace. So the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. Now grace is our New Testament teacher to live from Christ. I love Titus chapter 2, or yeah, Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Who does that sound like? Look, when the virgin birth came, was it, was it grace? What, what showed up on earth that brought grace? Was it this ambiguous, untouchable power source? Or is grace a person? Hey, it's, in, it's the passage, Titus chapter 2. I want you guys to see this. Titus chapter 2 says, But for the grace of God that brings salvation, who brought salvation? See, in him was the fullness, and he brought grace. And so grace showed up bringing salvation and appeared to all men because he's an equal opportunity savior. And he teaches us, this grace teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. So that's what grace does. That's what grace teaches. That's how grace personifies and manifests himself. So I wanted to say this. If you are a Christian, how you got to become a Christian is you were saved by grace. This is beginner stuff, but some people don't know that, like chaplains and people that are religious. Because sometimes when they have religion and they're doing fine, they don't really need to be humbled to say, I can't save myself. I'm not good enough for God's heaven. I am tapping out. I realize I'm a sinner. I realize I'm not going to get into heaven by my own good merits and my own good works. I realize that I've broken the law at least one time, right? And I realize uh, that if I were to stand before God, I wouldn't be as righteous as it is to get into the presence of God. And so those people realize that they're sinners and that Jesus died for their sins and that he rose again and he wants to give them the free gift by grace called eternal life. And then pick this obscure verse that we kind of pass this one and we go right to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, but let's look at the verses before. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. But God, who was rich in mercy, unlimited resources in mercy, because of his great love, that's not average love, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, we weren't seeking him, he was seeking us. There's none that seeks after good, and there's none righteous, no, not one. And so it was the bread of life seeking us, the hungry. It was the water of life seeking us, the parched and thirsty and dehydrated. And it was the righteous seeking the unrighteous. And he made us alive together with Christ because by grace you have been saved. I didn't save myself. And you didn't save yourself. Glory is to God. We are saved by his grace. Well, so then how do we live? Well, if you're saved by grace, is, it, is that it? Right? Well, I'm saved by grace. I guess let's just call it a day, you know? <laughs> We're like the... Galatians, thank you, Jesus, for saving me. I'll just take it from here, and I'll just kind of pick up some laws and rules and, and kind of govern my life that way. Well, we're saved by grace, and now we live by grace. Look at, um, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Are you guys skipping? Is there an, okay. Um, but by the grace of God, Paul's saying this as his testimony, by the grace of God, I am... You know what I'm thinking immediately. I'm not going to do it. By the grace of God, I am what I am. 
And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored, look at that, I labored more abundantly than they all. And this reminds me of Galatians 2.20. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Look at what he's saying. I labored more than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. Who do you think grace is in this verse? Grace showed up, and of his fullness we've all received. And he says, it's not I, but Christ, you could say. It's not I, but the grace of God. And Jesus living in and through you, or you could say grace living in and through you, what does that look like? Does it look like a lazy, passive, don't care, apathetic Christian? Or do you think grace kind of turns up the volume, so to speak, and motivates us to do more and not less? And that's kind of the next point. Christ in us, living through us, leads us to do more, not less. Look at Romans 15. Therefore, I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus in all things which pertain to God. For I will not dare speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word or deed. And what he's saying here is he realized he received all the fullness of God's grace. And now he's doing all of these abundant things in the ministry, but he's not saying glory to Paul. He's saying glory to Christ. Right? Because it's, it's God in you at work to will and do of his good pleasure through you. And that's the way the Christian life works. Now, you have a handout. My best or Christ for Christ's work. I only, run, I only want to read a portion of it. I don't know what portion you have. It says there's an origin. There's multiple pages to this, um, and you only got one page. Well, if pick up the part where it says, my best or Christ's work. So then, how does one live the exchange life or the Christian life? The first step is to realize that you absolutely cannot. That is, you cannot do it, but Christ who is in you can. John 3.30 gives us this injunction. He must increase, but I must decrease. The key to, the key to gaining spiritual understanding, as Hudson Taylor discovered, and you could pick that up from the first paragraph, is not our effort, but rather our submission to God's effort. It's not trying, but trusting. It's not achieving, but believing. It's not a test, but a rest in who Christ is and what he has done. The pitfall that claims many Christians is that we lose sight of the fact that Christ is our life and that he desires to express his resourceful life through our unique personalities. That's why God loves diversity. And he, he loves our unity, but he loves our diversity. Be the authentic you that only you could be. And manifest your version of Christ, who's the same Christ, through your personality. He is not afraid of it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all different Gospels. All the same message, right? So, um, we often go about our daily tasks using the power of our flesh, never talking with or depending on him until something has sufficiently confused or has us sufficiently accused, uh, confused or irritated. I'm confused. Paul was very candid about his own battle with the flesh. We humans typically carry on this flesh-faith cycle until we encounter some crisis that is absolutely beyond our control. This process of breaking down our system is God's way of giving us the opportunity to make clean and make a clean break from the cycle. By denying our flesh the power to manipulate our decisions, we leave room for Christ to sit at the controls. Is the exchange life then only a passive life? By no means. Scripture tells us 
that we are created unto good works, which is also Ephesians 2.10, and that we are to be continually in prayer and renewing our minds, loving both our God and the people he has placed in our life. This is an active life founded on an intimate, submissive, yet bold relationship with God. You see, God has given us minds and hands for a reason. We are like the performers in an orchestra. If we wanted, it is certainly within our power to play whatever notes we chose or choose. But in order for the symphony to be presented as intended, the best and most pleasing plan is to follow the sheet music that has been given to us, i.e. the Bible, and to look to the conductor for direction, i.e. Jesus. He does not control our actions, but merely leads us in ways that our own earthbound perspective cannot conceive. The best performers are the ones who are so intently focused on the conductor's baton that their own plane becomes an afterthought. Hopefully that's helpful. And we'll study this out uh, further. But I wanted to bring that to your attention and that'll, that's going to segue us into verse 17. John 1, 17. So it says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Another quote is going to be up on your screen here from Worsby. Um, grace is God's favor and kindness bestowed on those who do not deserve it and cannot earn it. If God dealt with us only according to truth, none of us would survive. But he deals with us on the basis of grace and truth. Jesus Christ in his life, death, and resurrection met all the demands of the law. Now God is free to share fullness of grace with those who trust Christ. Grace without truth would be deceitful, and truth without grace would be condemning. Where's it being? I had to hand type that, by the way. So <laughs> all my commentary, commentaries are not available on my computer, so I'm going old school. I'm using all my old commentaries. And so um, I thought this quote was good and helpful, and hopefully there's no typos. Um, but I want to say this. God's grace was still found all over in the New Testament because I think sometimes when we come to these passages in John, the law was given by Moses and grace and truth came by Jesus, we think, well, okay, so no one was ever saved in the Old Testament. Were people saved in the Old Testament? Yes. How were they saved in the Old Testament? By grace through faith. Faith in who? Faith in Jesus that was going to come. How are we saved? By grace through faith. How are we saved by grace through faith? Believing that Jesus already came. You see, they looked forward to the cross and the resurrection. We look backwards to the cross and the resurrection. And in the middle of it all, and we're going to get that cross, in the middle of it all is the cross of Christ. They look forward, we look backward, and they're saved the same way by grace through faith. So grace isn't a, just a new idea. In fact, Adam and Eve experienced grace in the garden, Right? They sinned, they covered themselves with fig leaves, and God said, that's not going to cut it. That's, that's human effort, that's religion, those are good works, but that doesn't, that doesn't atone. And so God took care of an animal skin and put it on them as a picture of the person of Christ that was to come to take away the sin forever. Um, Cain and Abel, very next chapter, go from Genesis 3 to Genesis 4. Uh, Cain kills his brother, and God puts a mark on Cain. Now, was that a curse, or was that grace? In Utah, they call it a curse. 
And they called it people that weren't white skin. And I say, that's blasphemy and that's wrong. The mark of Cain was not some pigment of his skin. I don't know what the mark was, but it was a picture of God's grace because God said, I'm putting this mark on you so no one will touch you or harm you or kill you. God's grace. Um, Keep going through the Bible. All the animal sacrifices were a picture of the person of grace. Uh, what jo- Noah chapter 6, or not Noah chapter 6, Genesis chapter 6, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 8, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Moses experienced grace, even though the law came by Moses. Exodus thirty-three seventeen. so the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my eyes, and I know you by name. So God's grace was all over in the Old Testament. Proverbs three thirty-four. Surely he scorns the scornful, but he gives grace unto the humble. It's always been God's grace has been accessible and available. But grace never lived in and through the individual believer. Now we have his fullness and his grace living in us empowering us to live this life as we, uh, as we appropriate his life out of us and through us. So when Jesus showed up, though, the grace of God was personified. I already kind of quoted a larger portion of this, but I want to do a shorter version. So Titus 2.11a, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And a couple weeks ago, or last week, we were in John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So the fully loaded model, Jesus, he comes packed with all of God's grace. And of his fullness, this grace and truth that was all in Jesus, we have now received all of it in all of us. So I want to bring that up because Jesus came to redeem us, to rescue us, and to restore us into and unto a dynamic, vibrant, eternal, unending, unconditional love relationship with him and the Father and the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the Father's full and final expression of God's grace. So the law came by Moses, but grace came by and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I know we went through the book of Galatians, but some of you weren't there as we journeyed through that book. And the major theme was they were saved by grace through faith, but then they went back to the law of Moses. They went from a superior standing to an inferior standing, and they settled for something less than Jesus, even though it was a picture and it pointed to Jesus. So we're not saved by the law of Moses, but we are saved by God's grace. And this has been a struggle, I think, for people down through the ages. I think it's been a first century struggle to a 21st century struggle. Turn with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 15. You're going to need your Bible for this one. So the law came by Moses... But grace and truth came by Jesus. Verse 1, Acts 15. This is a dispute over circumcision and how people are saved. This is first century um, 
discussion, first century issue, and it's still going on today. Certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem under the apostles and elders about this question. Is it Jesus plus circumcision? Is it Jesus plus the Sabbath? Is it Jesus plus uh, dietary laws? Is it Jesus plus getting baptized? Is it Jesus plus joining the church? Is, is it, or is it Jesus plus nothing equals everything for life? Right? So, and being brought on their way, uh, by the church, they passed through Phoenice and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, and they had caused great joy uh, uh, unto all the brethren. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of all the apostles and elders, and they declared all the things that God had done with them. But there rose up a certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and elders came together to, for to consider this matter. And when they had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brother, you know how that a good while ago God made a choice between us that the Gentiles, by my mouth, should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knows the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us. Now, Peter's also referring to when he was preaching to Cornelius, the centurion, the Roman soldier, and all of his friends and family that were there. They simply believed and received the Holy Spirit as they did in the, in the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Verse 9, and he put no, God put no difference between us, the Jews, and them, the Gentiles, by purifying their hearts by faith. Now, brethren, why tempt you, God, to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. There's some honesty there. He's saying we couldn't even keep the law, right? And it's funny because modern-day Pharisees are modern-day law-keeping people that want to be Moses 2.0. They hijack some verses of the Old Testament and they import them into the new. They mix the new wine and the old wine and the old clothes and the new clothes, and they try to make oil and water compatible, and they can't. But even when, those are hybrid versions of people that just cherry-pick certain parts of the Old Testament. They pick their favorite and avoid their, their unfavorites. But he says, even the people that understood the Old Testament weren't able to bear it. But we believe, verse 11 is key, that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. Then all the multitude kept silence. So he says, verse 11 I like, he says, but we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they are. Amen? So you're not saved by the law of Moses. You're not sanctified by the law of Moses. You're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So we are not under the law anymore. We are under the Lord. And I want, to, I want to close this out by just reading. I'm not going to take a lot of time to explain these passages. You've heard the Romans road that kind of leads people to the Lord. I kind of made up my own version. The Romans road from the law that leads to the Lord also. Let's pick it up in Romans chapter 6 verse 14. 
For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Rhetorical question. He knows it's going to happen. Well, what then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? God forbid, certainly not. That would be disgrace. That wouldn't be grace. Romans 7. I wish I had time to read the first five verses, but picking it up, after he gives the example of a marriage, he's using marriage to teach that we're not married to the law, but we're married to the Lord. But now you have been delivered from the law, having died to that which you're held, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Journeying through this Romans road from the law to the Lord, some might say, well, if we're not under the law, are we lawless? God forbid. Look at the law that we're under now. It's a new covenant law. Romans chapter 8, verse 2. Verse 1 says, there's now no, therefore no condemnation to those that are in Christ. And the law only brought condemnation and never brought anything else. Uh, verse 2 says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus have made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, because you could only do the law from the flesh, it was an external system, it wasn't an internal Lord. What the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and on the account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. So Jesus came, he took the test, passed it, and gave us his scorecard. We have now been made the righteousness of God because it was gifted to us. It wasn't achieved by us. Romans chapter 9, verse 30. Again, Romans wrote, from the law to the Lord. What shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, kind of reminds me of the prodigal son and the older brother here. If you think about the Jews and the Gentiles, the Jew being the older brother, the Gentile being the younger brother, this doesn't seem fair, right? They've been striving and struggling their whole life, and the Gentiles get righteous, and they weren't even trying to get it, (laughs) but Israel pursuing the law of righteousness has not attained it. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone, which was Christ. Christ is that stumbling stone. In the last passage, then we'll be done. You're like, oh, thank God, this is just overkill. <laughs> I kind of feel like that too, but it's all right. Brethren, sistren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. This is right after that stumbling stone. It just goes right in. We put chapters there, but it's a letter. So we're just in nine, and then, then these are the next verses. So in that continued thought, he wants Israel to be saved. I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. I've never met, I've, I've only met good-intentioned religious legalists. They're well-intentioned. They have a zeal for God but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness, like agnostic, they're, uh, they're without it, without gnosis, they're ignorant of God's righteousness. They're seeking to establish their own righteousness, which is self-righteousness. They have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God, because here it is. For Christ is the end of the law 
We were in John the Baptist last week. For the law and the prophets were until John, and then he preaches Jesus. It all came up to John. Here's the one. Here's the Lamb of God. Here, everything that the law was picturing and foreshadowing, here's now the person of grace, the person of righteousness, the person of eternal life. Here he is. And so, for Christ is the end of the law. He fulfilled the law. He, he did everything complete. He full, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. And here's how you get this righteousness as if you were the one to fulfill the law to anyone that believes. And that's by grace. That's how you get righteous. By grace through faith in the one who's righteous. Amen? I don't know if that's exciting. I don't know. <laughs> it is exciting. Because for those of you that have been trying and struggling and striving and trying to get God to just accept you and to assure you that you're good enough to get into God's presence, you are good enough because God made you that way and he gave it to you by his grace. You're not going to get good enough by the law. And so let's, let's wrap this whole thing up here. So what does all this mean? Christ is the end of the law. He is our righteousness and the one who gives us eternal life and this daily, abundant, grace-filled life. Christ brought us grace and truth so we could be free from the condemnation of sin, death, and the law. And I think here's kind of the main point. If you didn't get anything, maybe you could leave with just these thoughts. We are now free from the law so that we could be free unto and for the Lord. We could love God with no strings attached. We could serve God without trying to get anything, but we could serve him because we have everything already. Now uh, we can now serve God by his empowering life and love and grace. And I think as an overflow, after we, after we resolve our right standing and our righteous position and practice in Christ because of his grace... We are now free to serve others by freely giving to them what God has freely given to us by his grace. So, if we were to go out and do evangelism, hey, we're here to give you something. We're here to pray for you. You know, I used to think that the more doors I knocked and the more salvations I got, the more righteous I would be or the, God would like me a little bit more. You know what it produced in me in my little seminary Bible college experience? Competition. It did. You remember Martin Luther? He would pray more than his other priests and colleagues. This is how I operated, and this it fostered. Maybe it was just me. Maybe the, the college wasn't doing it. But if someone knocked 100 doors, I would knock 101. If someone got 10 people to say the prayer of receiving Jesus, I would try to get 11. I always tried to do more because I thought, well... No, I want to get, you know, I'm going to get more of God than they got. Um, but when you realize you have everything because of his fullness, we've all received. Grace for grace. And the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. We could relax. We could love God. We could lighten up. We could serve with no strings attached, right? Because we have everything and lack nothing. Well, um, I'd like to do this. I'd like us to stand. 
And I'm going to ask um, Michelle and Danny if they would come forward. Then I'm going to um, ask Vic if you'd close us in a word of prayer. But Michelle and Danny want to come forward and they want to be received into the membership here and put their uh, gifts and talents here and be a part of the family. And I've spoke with them what that means. And they both have shared, to, shared with me on, on a few different times over a few lunches and conversations of their own personal testimony receiving Christ and being baptized after their salvation. And so uh, if there's any... Uh, that would oppose, raise your hand and say no. But if any would say yes, amen. So I'm going to have Vic dismiss us in a word of prayer, and then we're going to be standing in the back. And if when you leave, you could just shake their hand and welcome them. Uh, That'd be awesome. Vic, would you send us off in a word of prayer?